Well, good morning. We are so glad that you're here. We're glad that you've joined us in person or online. If you're visiting either place, thank you for being here. We are blessed to have you. Um, I already prayed for Grant Youngsma uh, during our connection break. I went, I old-fashioned, laid hands on him, prayed for God to take his sin away uh, so that he can get over his uh, love of the Buccaneers. But it's okay. If you don't love God's team, Grant, I'm sure he'll forgive you. Uh, also, other important things to note, I don't know if you guys saw Clay during worship, but he was getting in it. His hand was doing this thing, and he was, I'm kidding, hitting all sorts of notes. But uh, all that said, I'm going to start our sermon now because that's my job. That's why I'm here. We are so glad, again, like I said, that you've joined us now. Uh, we often refer to church as God's house, right? And I think that it's normal for Christians to see it that way, right? We see church, the church building, as God's house. It's where God dwells. We come to God's house, and then we leave, and then we go to our house, and we go to work until we can get back to God's house. But I think that viewing it that way, that seeing church as the only place that God dwells, sells our life short, and we need to change our perspective. You see, anywhere we dwell as Christians becomes God's house. So yes, of course, church, but home and work also meet those qualifications. When you find yourself in a place for a prolonged period of time, that turns into God's house for you, and I think that we need to see it that way to make sure that we are living as appropriate witnesses uh, in those different areas that we find ourselves living life. Now, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 again. We're going to start with verse 18, uh, and it says this, Wives, submit, to yourself, or submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I'll read it one more time. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Thank you all for being here as the band comes to play. Uh, we will, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. For whatever reason, uh, mainly because of kind of what I just did there, this verse has become controversial over the years. I think partly it's because it's misunderstood. I think partly because we've alienated from the surrounding scripture of where we find it. And uh, I also think partly because it has been abused by the church, which throughout its history, frankly, has been dominated by males. Now, you may not know this, but males are often husbands. And uh, husbands are often dumb. Uh, can I get an amen, wives? Anyone? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's the most excitement I've had in weeks. Uh, husbands are often dumb. Now, husbands at times have been known to use this argument uh, in jest to try to win an argument. Uh, and even more unfortunately, at times, they aren't kidding. The response usually received to, hey, woman, submit to me, is you're an idiot. Which, let's be frank, I think is probably appropriate when we use it in that way. Yet, we have a scriptural command for wives to submit to their husbands. If you don't like it, you can just tear that page out of your Bible. Right? What's that? I can do it too. See? Oh, the elders, elders uh, just came back to me and they said that's not how it works. Uh, so... If that's not how it works, then what do we do with this scriptural command? Then we, we have to seek to understand it. Because after all, it is a biblical command. It is a biblical command. So how do we reconcile that biblical command with the fact that this command maybe not necessarily makes us feel good as women and sometimes as men, right? How, how do we reconcile that? How do we look at this? And uh, how does it apply to our lives? So as a biblical command, I would also argue to you that it is the design of God. 
Uh, we're told in Genesis 2 that women came from man, right? Eve came from Adam's rib. And in Corinthians 11.3, we're told that man is head of the wife. Scripture also teaches back in Genesis, though, however, 2.24, that the two become one, right? Man and woman become one once again, once they unite in marriage. So woman comes from man, okay, originally, as we're born and trees of lineage take place over the years, we're separated. But at some point, man and woman are designed to come back together. And at that point, when marriage occurs, the two become one. And so any wrong committed against your partner is a wrong that is committed against yourselves. Therefore, wives, uh, submitting to your husband, I would argue, is an act of obedience to God. I also would argue that it's an act of self-love. It's an act of self-love. Remember, we said earlier in our series that to live according to the word is holy. To live according to the word is holy. Even parts of the word that maybe make us not feel the greatest, even parts of the word that we may cringe at when we first read. And so we have to also understand that in living in this way, and we're going to get to the men in a minute, don't worry, but in living in this way, our relationships are a representation of what Christ's relationship is with the church. And that's one of the greatest gifts of marriage that so often we don't see. We get to be a representation to the world of what Christ's love is for the church and what the church's response to Christ should be. We'll find that in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I would challenge you to read that on your own at some point. We will look at various parts of it today. But wives are sub to submit to their husbands. So often we like to stop there, right? Especially guys, wives, submit to your husbands. Huh, that's a good one. I like it. And we totally just ignore the second half of the verse because there's a stipulation that occurs here. It says, wives, submit to your husbands, but it goes on to say, as is fitting to the Lord. As is fitting to the Lord. You see, there are moral limits to submission. And men, we have to understand this. We have to understand this. There are moral limits to submission. We should never lead our wives in a way that is against Scripture, against God. And wives, if your husband is trying to do that, if he's trying to do something that conflicts with the character of God or with God's word, that's where your command to submit to your husband is cut off. Husbands have to understand that we are not our wives' superior. Okay, we are not our wives' superior. The, the best example that I can kind of give, and, and still because of the constructs of the way that we look at it, we may not see it this way, are kind of like, president and vice president, right? They are the two most powerful people in their world. Husbands and wives, it's the same way. You, you are the king and queen, so to speak, of your kingdom. You are the president and vice president of the land that you rule. And so, husbands, you are not superior to your wives. In fact, I'm going to just lay this out there. I know quite a few couples in this church very well, and I would say I'm confident that's not the case, right? <laughs> Let's just be honest. And I'm including myself in that. Most of us are dummies. That's the nicest way I can put it. And we are lucky to have the partner that we have in life. I would go on to say this, that based on everything we've talked about, about how Christ should affect our lives and how it is a sign of strength to be able to submit to his word. Let's not even talk about submitting to a husband. Let's talk about being able to submit to God's word to be able to follow his commands and, and lay ourselves to the side and pick up where Jesus would have us begin. 
is only a sign of strength. There is zero, absolutely none weakness in this. Being able to live according to God's commands is a sign of strength and nothing else. Like I said, we can't can't take this part of Scripture and alienate it from the rest because in the very next verse, in Colossians 3.19, Paul gives instructions to husbands. And he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A better translation would be don't make them bitter. Don't make them bitter. The goal, after all, for us as husbands is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That is our goal. That is the command that is given to us. Christ loved the church so very much that he gave his life for it. So yes, wives are to submit to their husbands or respect the biblical order that God has put on our lives. But husbands, we are supposed to live in such a way that that is not a chore for them. Does that make sense? We are supposed to live in such a way that it becomes joyful for them to partner with us in a way that says, I will respect your leadership. As Christ has said in scripture that you are supposed to lead because you love me in such a way that is sacrificial. You love me in such a way that always puts me first. You love me in such a way that I trust and I know that the decisions you are making right now that you better have got her input on, I know that you're making that decision because you've prayed about it, because you believe that it's God's will for our life, and because you are placing your trust fully in him. And because I believe that you are submitting to Christ, I will submit to you as the head of our household, as the leader in this relationship. The problem is that in our church, too many men aren't the leaders in their household. Too many men are not the Christian leaders in their household. It's the wives doing all the work. And I mean all the work, not just the spiritual lifting, but all the work. They're the ones getting up early and getting the kids ready. They're the ones that are always doing the dishes. They're the ones that are always doing the laundry. They're the ones that are always picking up the house. They're the ones that have to worry about what to make for dinner. They're the ones that have to plan the kids' birthday parties. There's the ones that have to remember to do each and every little thing, and they just also happen to be the ones that lead us spiritually. And that is sinful, and it's wrong, and as men, it should make us feel like cowards because that's exactly what that makes us. We have to be better leaders so that our wives look at this command in Scripture and say, piece of cake, not a problem. I can do that. Ephesians 5.25, like I said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are to be loving leaders, not dictators. It's not my way or the highway. It's not this is what I said, do it. It's not respect my authority. Some of you are going to get that. It's probably good that some of you don't. It's none of those things. This command in the order that it was given to us in Scripture, being the second verse of the two verses that we read, may seem like for some reason it's second to what was said, but it's not. It is equally important. 
if not more important. Because not everybody submitted to Christ. But Christ still loved everybody. So what comes first? In 1 Peter 3, 7, we're given a verse. It's another one of these verses that when you read it, maybe makes you a little uncomfortable. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and the heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You see, we hear this word weaker and we don't like it. Women are like, we'll show you weaker after church. They're all planning to jump me right now. Right? We hear this word, we don't like it. I'm going to use another word you probably don't like, but weaker shouldn't be seen as maybe less strong, but more delicate. Like fine china. Something that we're supposed to appreciate and protect and take care of. And when it talks about being weaker, it's not talking about mentally. I want to make that clear. Men don't have bigger brains than women. Men are not more intelligent than women. Generally, we are physically stronger. That's what this verse means. Generally, we are less emotionally affected. And I think that if we were all able to just kind of move ourselves back from that and think about it, we would say, yeah, that's true. My husband probably is, in fact, stronger than me. And he is probably less emotional. See, because men, we walk through life like a grizzly bear in a convenience store. Kind of just grunting and growling and swatting at bags of chips. (laughs) We can have somebody just cuss us up and down, yell at us, tell us we're worthless, tell us we're not important, and we're like, Doritos. Right? Like, all right, cool, buddy. Those were some colorful words. This verse, as men, this verse calls us to wake up. To wake up and not be mindless about the gifts that are bestowed to us in the partnership that we have received with our wives. And to understand that they aren't always like us. And so we must treat them as if they aren't a grizzly bear in a convenience store. And we must understand that they are to be taken care of and they are to be cherished and that we can't talk to them like we talk to our buddies. Here's the thing. We have to treat them according to their worth because not doing so is a sin. It is. It's a sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Not treating your wife in appropriation to her worth, which, by the way, regardless of what you may think at times, is priceless. She is a gift to you. A helper to lead you in a way through life. It's a partnership. Two become one. And you do this thing together. And any time we get outside of that train of thought, we are sinning against our wife. See, in a way, a marital quid pro quo occurs. Wives allow us to lovingly lead them. They submit to our leadership and they can do so with confidence because we treat them according to the commands of scripture. 
and we love them like Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, 25 to 28, I said we would get to it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies because he who loves his wife loves himself. Enough about mom and dad. We're going to get on to children. We have a few children in here that are old enough to kind of hear these lessons. But frankly, if you guys know how life works, we're all children. right? We've all had parents at some point. And so let's look at biblical commands uh, for children as Paul wrote to, in Colossians 3. We're going to look at verse 20 that says, Children, obey your parents in everything, in everything, for this pleases the Lord, which mimics... One of those things we like to call a commandment in Exodus 20:12, which says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. You see, simply put, children, we are to obey our parents in everything. In everything. I'm specifically talking to y'all few that are under 18 right now. You are to obey your parents in everything, which admittedly can be very difficult for any number of reasons. It can be tough. In the Old Testament, rebellion, disobedience was seen towards the parents was seen as rebellion and disobedience towards God. And the punishment for that crime was death. God commanded parents to kill their children who didn't obey them. We no longer follow that command. Parents, don't do that. If, if you're wondering, sometimes you may feel like it. Sometimes they say something. James is looking. <laughs> James is like... Oh, Tyler, you have no idea what almost happened to you this morning. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we are to do this as children. You're to do this. Why? Because it's pleasing to God. But also because there's benefits. You get to live a long life. That is part of that commandment. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long. So that you may live long. But blind obedience also has its limits, just like the instruction to wives has its limits. Children, this instruction has limits as well, because God would never allow yourself, and I'm speaking to both those online, hopefully, and those in here, but God would never expect you to allow yourself to be physically, emotionally, or sexually, frankly, abused. I know that's kind of a tough thing to hear, but God would never, ever, under any circumstance, require that of children. That's my phone. I kept being like, whose phone's going off? Sorry, love everyone. God would never expect those things from you, ever, at any point. And we have to be able to know the difference, right? So, so being grounded, having your phone taken away, occasionally being yelled at, those things don't qualify as abuse. Those things are what we like to call parenting. It happens. It used to happen a lot worse, trust me, a lot worse than it does now because everything these days is like off-limits, you ever had to pick a switch and tear your own leaves off? I didn't think so. That's rough. I've still got like a leather imprint right about there. I don't know what it says, like Wrangler. It's one of those braided belts. thing was rough. The braided ones hurt worse than just the flat leather. I'm just telling you. It's like they got grooves, you know, and they like pinch you at the same time. What in the world's happening with this? I didn't mean to disobey you that bad. I'm so sorry. Right? But outside of the abuse that we mentioned, the physical, the emotion, the sexual, outside of that abuse, it's important that 
As children, you obey your parents in all things. Here's what you need to know. Something I wish I would have known when I was your age, when I was younger, at any point. Parents aren't perfect. And frankly, they won't claim to be. If you ask them, they'll tell you. They make mistakes. We don't really have a clue. We do our very best as parents. We, we, we really do. We do our very best. We want to raise you right. We want to turn you into upstanding and moral adults. And we do our very best. But sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we yell when we shouldn't. Sometimes we're mad when we have no reason to be. Sometimes we don't take your side of things and we automatically punish you for something that maybe you would have been justified in doing. And they're going to make mistakes. Your parents are not perfect. They will make mistakes. But they have to make tough decisions every second of every day. And they do it. They do it to try to make sure that you are taken care of. They do it to try to make sure that it benefits you even if it doesn't feel that way. When it comes to this obedience, though, you have to understand that the reason that parents sometimes are so hard is because this obedience, this this blind obedience, it has a shelf life. Because eventually you become an adult and you you are responsible for your own decisions. One day you'll become a parent and at that point, this blind obedience to your parents, it goes away. I mean, once you become married, right, you leave your family and you create your own. And at that time, you, you have to make these decisions. So eventually, there's blind obedience to your parents, obeying them and everything does go away. But one thing that doesn't go out of style is honor. And that's where this affects the rest of us. Honor your mother and your father so that you can live a long life. This doesn't say honor your father and mother if they're perfect. It doesn't say honor your father and mother if they're always good. It doesn't say honor your father and mother if they've never wronged you. It says honor your father and mother. At a certain point, and guys, I know this is difficult. I I come from a household. It was a split household. My parents divorced when I was young. But I can say this confidently, that I came from a house where there was a lot of love. A lot of love. And my mom and my dad, they loved us. And yeah, we got spanked, and yeah, we were punished, and yeah, sometimes we were yelled at without cause. But it was never abuse. And I know that some here, it would be naive for me to think that some here have not experienced abuse in their life. And so I know when I sit here and I say, honor your father and mother, it's easy for you to kind of look at that and say, yeah, but you don't know what my parents have done. And I use this illustration, I should probably get his permission because I don't know if he wants me to tell his story, but my grandfather, who was a pastor for 70 years, and frankly, I will tell you, is the greatest man that I know. He is a man that I would love to emulate and be like. Was one of like a million brothers and sisters. He had a lot, seven, 12, something around there. He's gonna be, I probably should know this before I share this story, but it was a lot. His parents were not great. They just weren't. I know that he loves him, but his dad kind of left the family for another woman when he was young, and he was the oldest, and his mom had some, I would say now, probably mental instability issues, and she was abusive. And their childhood, I know for a fact, was rough. It was rough. 
He's in his 90s now, and out of all of his brothers and sisters as the oldest, he's the only one still living. And he's the only one that I think that you could say throughout his life still honored his father and his mother. Doesn't mean that he always agreed with everything that they did, but he found a way to forgive them. And that way was through the love of Jesus. Understanding that they were imperfect and that they were sinners, he found a way to honor them. And I have zero doubt that that is why he has lived such a long life. And I have zero doubt, as tough as it is to say that, that that's why he's the only one that's still alive. And I don't know how much longer we have him, but man, I'm going to love every second of it. Because I'm telling you, you will not find a greater man than him. He would argue with me on that. He would say I'm wrong. He would point out all his sin. But that man changed my life. He just did. And he came from tough and humble beginnings. But he did not let his beginning define his end. And so often as Christians, it's really tough for us not to let our beginning define our end. It's so often to forgive those things and move past those things and and to be the bigger person when the other person doesn't deserve it. But frankly, at the end of the day, I'm not sure that any of us could really look in the mirror and say, well, we deserve it. And yet grace and forgiveness is still given to us by our God, and so we need to find a way to give grace and forgiveness to others. And as it is a commandment to honor our father and mother, they need to be near the top of that list. Having said that, we go on to Colossians 3, 21, and and there's a flip side to this too. It's children, obey your parents. Obey your father, obey your mother. But it goes on to say in 3, 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And I think we need to see this as parents. Parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You see, as parents, we have a responsibility not to overextend our powers or to take advantage of our children's obedience. Being a parent is one of the most important jobs that you could ever possibly have, ever. And the end goal is to make our children better, and it's to build them up and not to tear them down. It's to make them more like Christ. Yes, by passing our faith on to them, but also ensuring that they know that they are loved. By making it known that we are proud of them. I think it would shock each and every one of us how many people have gone through life without ever hearing their father say that he's proud of them. Without ever hearing their father tell them that he loves them. And while it's more rare, some people have experienced that with their moms as well. We need to make sure that our children know that they are loved, that we are proud of them, that we are glad that they are part of our lives, that they are a gift to us. It can't always be correction. We can't always be tearing down. We have to build up as well. They have to know. They have to know. 
unequivocally that they are loved. See, we have no benefit, no benefit or need really to needlessly irritate our children or to provoke our children. And this was tough for me to study this passage this week because I don't do it to be mean. I don't do it to to be a jerk. I'm doing it because I think I'm being playful. But sometimes I just push buttons. Imperfections of a father. Sometimes I, I, I just get Cordelia to that point where she's ready to explode. And I think I'm being funny and I think we're having a good time. And I realize that I'm not that funny. And the only one who's having any enjoyment in the circumstance is me. There's no benefit to that. That doesn't build her up. Even if later she finds out that I'm kidding or I'm just joking around, what good is that to her? It's not. I take her on an emotional roller coaster for no reason whatsoever. I never really saw it as sinful and I never really saw it as detrimental. But I do now. And I've got years of things to make up for. And it's a habit, frankly, and I'm going to have to break it. And it's going to be tough. And my wife's going to have to hold me accountable. And that's not going to be fun for her either. Because I'll be a baby about it. I was just kidding. Even when we're joking, even when we think we're having fun, we need to make sure that throughout life, the things that we are doing is to better our children. Always on the forefront, first and foremost. That includes discipline. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. You need to discipline your kids. If you don't, you are wronging them. If you don't, you are being sinful. That is truth. I'm not saying that you have to spank. I'm not saying any of those things. But I'm saying that you have to find a means of discipline that works for you and your child. And ignoring the things that need to be disciplined is not it. It's sinful. It's wrong. But here's the thing. If we spare our praise, we snuff out a child's light. And sometimes that light is never reignited. We move on from that, and I've got to be quick. I know I've been going long, guys. There's so much in these passages that, that we've been going over, and I want to hit it all, and uh, so forgive me. We've got a little bit longer to go, but we move from, from that area of God's house that is our home to the area of God's house that is our workplace. And I know that for adults, this is one of those things that we all struggle with because no one, for the most part, really, really, really enjoys work. Even if you like your job, even if you like your coworkers, like it would be good to be rich and, and, and to live on a beach and just do the things that you wanted to do all the time. Even if those things will work, like being able to set your own schedule and do all your own things, that's kind of our ideal for almost everyone, if we're just being honest. So we don't often view our workplaces as God's house, but I think that we should. In Colossians 3, through 25, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity in your heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
It is the Lord Christ that you are serving, and anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. You see, like I said, we don't often view our workplaces as God's house, but we should. Paul wasn't promoting or excusing slavery here, which is often decried by the unchurched, by non-believers. But Paul's concerns, rather, are for the soul of the worker and the representation of Christ that they could be for their employer, for their master. You may find yourself in an undesirable situation, but you can still show them Jesus. And that's something that as Christians we have to understand. You may work for a boss that just browbeats you, that can never be pleased, that never offers praise, that only gives criticism. And yet you can still be an example of who Christ is for that boss, for that employer. Imagine how our workplaces would change if we worked as if we were doing it for the Lord. If we worked hard, not just because somebody had their eye on us, not just because we were trying to get a raise, but because it was the innermost desire of our hearts to do good, to do our best, to make a difference in that workplace, how much more productive would we be? How much happier would we be with our work if we had this viewpoint? How could we change our workplaces and the hearts of the people that are in them? Last verse in Colossians 4.1. Paul flips that side of the coin and he says, hey, we've talked to the employee, now let's talk to the, to the master. And he says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Maybe you find yourself on the other end of this relationship. You're a business owner or a CFO or in some sort of management position where you have people working for you. You have a responsibility to represent Christ by being honest and being fair. By being just and by being fair and showing no favoritism whatsoever. Paul goes on to say, hey, listen, you may have the power here. You may be in control in this relationship, but you too have a master, and that master is in heaven. And he sees the way that you work, and he sees the way that you act, and he sees the way that you treat people. You slave owners, you business owners, you, you masters who call yourselves Christians, you better be just and fair. Because God will see your wrongdoing and he will repay you in kind. We all have someone to answer to in God's house. Each and every one of us. He sees our actions. He treats us accordingly. We have to understand that we set the tone. So if you find yourself in this situation, if you're one of the lucky few, so to speak, Treat your employees with compassion and with impartiality, as hard as that may be at times, and just see what happens. As the band comes on up, we're going to pray, and, and we have got one more week left of our series. And guys, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself, but I've been changed. I have been affected by the way that Christ says that I need to live my life. 
in the different areas that I live my life. And I hope that you've experienced that too. And I hope that you will be introspective enough after we're done with all of this next week to, to sit down and look at yourself against this word of God and to see the areas that need improvement. Because we can come and we can listen to a message and I'll let you be the judge of whether or not it was good. But there is truth in Scripture that we must live by and abide by. And at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're living according to His Word. I can try to lead you to water, but I can't necessarily make you drink it. So my prayer for you is that you will take that time. It's not... Colossians is four chapters. Read through it. Pray over it. Look at yourself. See where improvement can be made. And let's let ourselves live affected by Christ. I'm going to pray for us real quick and then we're going to get to worshiping God. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message. I know that Sometimes we only view church as God's house, but we dwell in so many different venues in our lives. And God, we need to see those places as God's house as well. We need to remember that we are always being a representative of you to our spouses, to our children, to our coworkers, to our bosses. Life is not always fair. You never promised that it would be. You did promise that our journey would be worth it. God, at the end of the day, I know that for me personally, I want my life to have an impact. I want to make a difference in the lives of others. I want people to be better for having known me and for having had relationships with me. And my prayer would be that we can all make that the desire of our hearts so that we can trust your word, that we will trust your word, that we will obey your word, and that we will live lives that are affected by what Christ has done for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to worship. But I also want you to know that this is a time that you can pray as well. Our stage is an altar for you. Steps this side. If you just need time to pray, please don't hesitate. Please see this as a welcoming space for you to pour your heart out to Jesus. I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to stand right here today. Mic off, I'll mask up. But if you need prayer, I would pray that you have the courage to come before everyone and let them see your strength by submitting to God's call to come and receive that prayer. Stand with us now and let's just worship God.